0: Good morning, Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Ricardo. I'm one of the uh, pastors here. We just want to thank you guys for joining us this morning, and for worship. And we're going to be spending some time in God's word. And if you haven't noticed yet, today's a little bit of a different service than what we've usually been doing lately. We're going to be taking a break for the Book of Mark. I know that's kind of the third week in a row that we've taken a break from the Book of Mark. But I promise you, we will be back in the Gospel of Mark next week. But today, as we've seen, as we saw the presentation, we're going to have a message more geared towards the sanctity of life and why we believe here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church that all life has value and has worth and has dignity, whether in the womb or out of the womb. All life has value, has worth, and has dignity. And some of you may be asking, why? Why are we adopting a week through love life? Why, why have this emphasis today? And and as you saw in the presentations, the numbers that we see are, are staggering. They're concerning. They're heartbreaking. And we believe here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church that, that this isn't a political issue. This isn't a thing that has to do with politics. This is a moral issue. This is a biblical, this is a spiritual matter. And because of that, because we believe that all life has dignity, all life has value, we believe that this is a problem worth talking about, worth giving time over to, worth getting in our hands and feet and doing the work of God. This isn't a political issue. We're not here today to tell you to vote for a certain party. We're not here to tell you today how to do things. We're here to tell you that, that we see out in this world, we see a problem. We see a moral problem in today's age, and we as a church have to respond to that. So this is a biblical matter for us, and we're going to see all throughout the Bible, we see that, that, that human life, whether it's in the womb or not, it has value in the eyes of God. And because it has value in the eyes of God, it should have value to us as well as the people of God. So we believe that this is a, a biblical matter, which is why we decided to Go and partner with Love Life this week and to have this message emphasized on this and to pray about it specifically on Wednesday and to show up on Saturday and have a prayer walk at Planned Parenthood because we believe this is a spiritual matter, a biblical matter, not a political one. This is a big moral issue for our time. And so we're going to get started today and really don't have the points up there, but. The main idea today is simple. It's all life. All human life is sacred. That's it. All human life in the womb, outside of the womb, it doesn't matter. All human life is sacred and has value and it has worth and is, is to have dignity in our eyes. So before we get started, if we could just spend some time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for your mercy and grace in our lives, Father, we understand that the only reason we're able to come here today, to sing songs of praise and worship to you, to sit under the preaching of your words, is because of your mercy and grace of our lives. There's nothing that we've done, Father, to earn this. It's all through your grace in our lives that we have this opportunity, Father. And so we thank you, Lord, for sending your Son to die on the cross for, on our behalf, Father. Lord, as we spend the next several moments opening up your word, looking at, at what you have to say regarding the issue of, of life, of human life, Father. We ask that you convict us in areas that need convicting, Father, areas that we need to grow in, Father. Help us to grow, Father. Help us to see what your word says. Help us to be people who take to heart your word, Father. And so we pray, Lord, as we open up our Bible, speak to us, reveal to us, show to us the areas where we're falling short, Father. Be with us today, Lord. We ask that you eliminate any distractions we may have today, Lord, as we spend the next several moments in your word. Help us to focus. Help us to hear. Help us to be reminded of the things that are important to you, Father. Lord, we pray all of this in your son's name, Father. As people said, amen. Amen. So the first point, all human life is sacred because... All human life is created in the image and likeness of God. We see this as we read in our scripture reading in Genesis one, twenty six through through twenty seven. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish in the sea over the and and over the sea of the birds, and over the livestock and over all the earth and the creeping things that creeps on the earth." So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created them, male and female. He them. We see this language here in verse 26 where it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And this is the first time throughout all of the creation account here in Genesis where God uses this type of language. We see that he's already from the very beginning setting man, setting human life apart from everything else that he created. If you were to go back to verse 11, as God is creating other forms of life that we see here on earth, in verse eleven, as he's creating the, the vegetation, the seeds, the trees, he says there that is going to create it each according to its kind. And you see it again in verse twenty-one, as he's talking about the creatures of the sea, it says according to their kind. Just to get the point across there in verse 24 again. And he said, God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Really, As God is creating life, you see that phrase, according to their kinds, it comes up ten times. In those six verses alone where God is creating the fish, creating the trees, creating all the other things of life on earth, he says, according to their kind. But he does away with that pattern. He does away with that language when he creates man. When he creates man, he says, we're going to create them in our image, in our likeness. We're not created like the beasts of the land. We're not created according to our own kind. We are created in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, why am I focusing on that? Because what we see out of this doctrine comes what we call the Imago Dei, that each and every human life created has value, has dignity, and has worth, because they are... Created in the image and likeness of God. We, as people, as man, as created creatures, do not determine which lives has value, which lives have purpose, which life is worth saving. God and God alone determines that. We do not get to decide that. It's not up to someone's economic status. It's not up to someone's situation at home, whether they have one parent or two parents, or they don't have any parents at home. Human value, human dignity, human worth It's not dependent on anything. It's not dependent on someone's ethnic background. doesn't matter where someone is born, where they go to school, how they they grow up. doesn't matter what stage they are in the developmental process in the womb. Human life has dignity, has value, and has worth because all human life, in the womb and out of the womb, is created in the image and likeness of God. And he alone defines that. Human life is sacred because a holy God created human life in his image and in his likeness. And we always see throughout history as as man decides that they want to give human life worth, that they are the ones who decide which life is worth saving, which life isn't worth saving. What we see really as they attempt to give human life worth, what it leads to is death. We see it all throughout history. We see it with the Holocaust and the concentration camps. We see it today in the big movement as we can go into, as science has advanced, we can go into the, we can see whether a baby's going to be born with deformities or born with Down syndrome or autism, and doctors are pushing that. As they see this come up, they're pushing parents to abort their babies because their baby isn't going to have a good quality of life because of this. And so as we try to determine what... Human life has value and worth. All that really does is it leads to death, and we saw that in the numbers today. Over 73 million babies have been aborted since 1973, and and it continues to grow and doesn't seem like it's going to end anytime soon. Human life is sacred because a holy God created human life in his image and in his likeness. We also see the second point I have today is that human life is sacred because we see that God is the author of human life. He determines when life begins, and only him, him alone, should determine when life ends. That's not up to us. That, that is up to God. We see in Genesis chapter 2 when God creates man and he forms man out of the dust, it's not until he blows his breath into man that man becomes a living creature. God is the author of life. God alone, not us. He determines when the baby is born and how it is born. We see this all throughout the scriptures. We see it in Genesis 17, 6. We all know the story of Abraham and his wife, and, and that she's barren, and God says in Genesis 17, 16, that I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall, be, she shall become nations, kings, and people shall come from her. And I, we know the story. Abraham laughs at God there, right? He's like, I'm 100 years old. My wife, Sarah, she's 90. There is no way we are going to have children. He's laughing at God. And then what we see four chapters later in Genesis 21-2, that Sarah has a child. We see it again in Genesis 25 as Isaac prays to God for his son and because his wife, Rebecca, is burned. What we see is that the Lord granted his prayer and Rebecca, his wife, conceived The Lord of the universe, the the holy God said there is going to be a baby, and there was a baby. The creator of the universe, as it sees here, as one commentator puts it, opened up her womb. That this idea of conception, as one commentator says, is an act of God. It's not up to us. We don't really play a big role. We may play a small role, but it is up to God and God alone, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, a holy God, to decide when life begins, when it ends. It's not up to us. He alone is the author of life, and because of that, he determines that all life has value and has worth and has dignity. We see throughout the scriptures as well that God is in control. He is He is involved, uniquely involved in the process of creating life. That He just doesn't create it at one point and then says, I'm done with it. But as we see all throughout the scriptures, God is uniquely involved in the creation of life. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. And I'll just read this for you guys. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. Derek Thomas calls this part of the scripture, this psalm here, he speaks to it as this is the relationship God has with each and every indi- individual at the moment of conception. That this is speaking to of what is going on with us when we are conceived. And we see here in verse 13 in Psalm 139, he says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together. We see here that God is the architect of human life, of the human body. That every single neuron that connects our body to our brain, that sends signals, every single muscle and tissue and organ that we have in our bodies, God knitted that together, we see here in Psalm 139, verse 13. For I formed your inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. That God was there from the very beginning verse 15, it talks about my frame. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in a secret, intricately woven in the depths of the sea. The secret there in the depths of the sea, that is referring to the mother's womb there. That God, even when the baby was in their mother's womb, he sees all of it. My, my frame, or the KJV says, my substance. There, or, or the Holmes Christian Standard Bible says my bones, that, that in other words, everything about us, our bones, our muscles, our tissues, our organs, God sees it when we are in our mother's womb. He is intricately involved in putting it together. When we understand today that the human body is complex, that, that even with all our technological advances that we have today, we still don't fully comprehend how the human life, how the human body, how the mind works. God knows. He understands. He was there. He's intricately woven everything. We may not fully comprehend, but God does. And we see here that he's uniquely involved. Verse 16 talks about, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. This word there for unformed substance, what we see there in in the Hebrew is golem, which refers to that formless math. Mass of, of body. Commentators have noted that this reforms to the embryo or to the fetus, that your, your eyes have seen my fetus, have, have seen me when I was just a bunch of ball when I was formless, when there was just a bunch of chromosomes and DNA. God sees that in the womb and calls it human life. Just when we're just a little ball in the early stages of conception, God sees us. And it says there in verse 16 as he continues that he has in your book written, Every one of the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them, each and every day that we live on this earth was planned from the moment of our conception. This is where God is saying, This is where life begins. God has each and every day of ours written. We see this all throughout the scriptures. In Psalm 22, 9, David writes, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. One, on you was I cast from my birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. David says, from the moment that I was conceived, the moment I was in my mother's room, you have been my God. Life begins at conception, church. I know the world will try to argue against that, but we can see it as plain as day in the scriptures. We see this in the book of Job as well, which is, as some commentators will know, the oldest book in the Bible. It goes back before everything else. We see Job says in Job 12, verses 9 through 10, Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing in the breath of all mankind. God is the author of life. He determines when life begins and when it will end, not us. We see this again in Jeremiah 1 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I I set you apart for works. This is God saying that even before we were even thought of, He has set our days apart. Life begins at conception. One more verse, Galatians 1, 15, Paul writes, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul saying that even while I was still living against God, when I was s- sending Christians to be killed, he still had set my days apart from the womb. Our eternal destiny... Was set, and it has a purpose and a plan, and we are to serve God through that. I hope I am showing you that life here at church begins at conception. One more thing, and then we'll move on. Here, we, If you were to turn to Luke chapter 1, we know the story of John the Baptist being, being born, and, and Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and they are each are with baby. Elizabeth has John the Baptist, and Mary is pregnant with the baby Jesus. And when she walks into the room... We read in verse 41 that her baby, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb it's as if he knew. He was conscious of the fact that he was in the presence of the Lord. And so he leaped in the womb. But that's not the point here. What I want to show is that that Greek word that we see that, that refers to, John, to baby leaping in the womb, breathos, It's that same word that we see in Luke chapter 2, verses 12 and 16, when it's talking about baby Jesus in the manger, we see here that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when Luke is writing his account here, he refers to the baby in the womb as a baby and refers to the baby out of the womb as a baby. They are the same thing to our God. They should be the same thing to us. We see this also in 1 Peter 2, 2, when it says, Like newborn infants who long for their mom's milk, pure milk, that word there is also brephos. That this is a baby, guys. In the eyes of God, the baby in the womb is a baby, and the baby out of the womb is also a baby. There is no distinction how far it is developed, whether it has taken a breath or not. A baby is a baby in the womb and out of the womb. My third and last point we see here is that all human life is sacred because God values all human life, and all of his creation is made and is in his image. He gives each and every human life value. What I mean by this is, is that if we were to look at the scriptures, we will see that God has a special type of love, that he has a special type of compassion for those who are made in his image and likeness, that he has set them apart, that he protects human life. We see this really in the sixth commandment. It's so plain. When God gives, them, gives Israel ten commandments, he says, you shall not murder in other words, what God is doing, here. he's prohibiting the unlawful, unsanctioned taking of life. You don't get to determine when life ends. That is up to God. And what does God think of murder? We see this in Genesis nine, six, six: Whoever sheds blood for man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God has made man in his own image. We see here what God thinks of murder. We were to turn to to Exodus 21, just one chapter over after God gives the Ten Commandments, we see in verses 20 through to 25, Moses writes, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her her children come out, or as NASB says there, that she gives birth prematurely. If men are striving together and they hit a woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no harm. So the one who hit her shall surely be fine, as a woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. Verse 23, but if there is harm, then he shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, or stripe for stripe. We see here Moses saying, if two men are fighting and they accidentally hit a woman and that leads to the premature birth of that baby, and that baby then dies or, or comes out dead, then they are to pay with their life. It is life for life, eye for eye. What is the point here? The point is that according to God's word, if you are responsible for the killing of an unborn life, that you are to pay with your life. And why? Because the killing of an unborn baby, plainly put, is, it is murder. And I just, I just want to pause here. And first, before we move forward, if you or if you know anyone you know has had an abortion or has been responsible for an abortion... Understand this, that that we see in Romans 8, 1, that that Paul writes that, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Understand this, if you are carrying that weight, if you're carrying that, that, that guilt, that shame of your past, that there is forgiveness for you in Jesus Christ, that there is mercy and grace for you in the Lord Jesus, that you don't have to carry that weight anymore, that is made clear, all throughout the scriptures that there is forgiveness for those who turn to God in the name of Jesus. So you don't have to carry that way. That's not what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to shame you. We just want to point you to the Lord and Savior. And we'll talk more about that later, but I just wanted to put that in there right at that point because I want you to know that if you're involved in anyone who's listening, if you've ever were involved in that, there is forgiveness for you. There's redemption for you in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we see in Genesis 9, 6, that it is blood for blood when it comes to murder. We see also in Proverbs 6, chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, that there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abominable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked plans, devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord amongst brothers. In the middle of all of that. We see the proverb says that, that it is the shedding of innocent blood that the Lord hates. Church, is there anything more innocent than a baby curled up in its mother's womb in, in, in safety, in the place that it's supposed to feel safety, away from the world's clutches, being led to the slaughter? Is there anything more innocent than that in our world today? that is why we are having this discussion. This is why we we wanted to put this emphasis today, because we believe that all life, in the womb, out of the womb, on the way, off this earth, has value, has dignity, and has worth. How do we respond to this today? First, we we respond in love. We respond in care. We respond in compassion. We do all that while trying to save as many lives as possible. Understand that that, that I don't just mean the baby's life. there. That there are real people that we're going to be dealing with. That there's women who, who are mothers and men who are fathers who are dealing with this. And they also are, we should be calling them giving them the gospel as well, that we are to save all lives, not just the babies, but the mothers, the fathers, those who work in the clinics, those who are escorting people to the clinics, that that all of them have value, have worth and dignity despite what they're doing, despite how they're choosing to live their life. And we are to show them love and we are to show them care and we are to show them compassion, church. They also are in need of knowing who the Savior is. Not just the baby, but we want all of them to come to know the Lord on, as their Lord and as their Savior. And so what do we do? We pray. We have to pray, and then we pray some more. And then, yes, we pray even some more. We don't stop praying for this. We pray for it on Wednesdays when we gather. We pray for it throughout the week as the Lord has said in our heart, but we must be a praying church, praying for God to see people come to know him as his Lord and Savior. And we're asking you, show up with us on Saturday as we go out there on Saturday to the Planned Parenthood in New York, as we, as we walk around the building, as we have prayer, as we have songs there, and we sing songs of praise, and as we try to be a witness to the neighborhood. We're, we're asking, if God has put on your heart, to show up with us. I will be there. Pastor West will be there. Alex will be there. And we're asking you come and just pray with us. Spend a day being a witness, being a light to this community here in York County. But that's not the only opportunity, and as Sarah shared with us, and, and if your, your heart is being moved and you feel like God is putting this on your heart to take up this matter, they would love to talk to you more. There's a table out in the back. They've had several different ways that you can get involved. It's not just about doing the prayer, works, prayer walks, but there's other ways that you can be involved in helping this atrocity come to an end and helping those who are struggling with this. So I encourage you, if you, if you are interested and you want to know more, stop by, talk to me, talk to Pastor West or you can stop by the table and they can answer any questions you have regarding this issue and this topic. So as we close today, like I've said, I want to address those who, who have the shame, who may have dealt with this in the past or who may be dealing with it, whether you're here, whether you're listening. I want to address the unbeliever and understand this, that there is grace and there is forgiveness for anyone who has played a hand in this. Anyone who's had an abortion or who who has done one or anyone who has convinced someone, there is grace and forgiveness for you. This is true of the believer and the unbeliever alike, that God's mercy, his, his grace, his forgiveness of sins is greater than we are able to comprehend. Sometimes we think that we are just the worst of the people, that there is no way that the Lord of the universe can forgive me. And we see how great God's forgiveness is in Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12 psalmist writes, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us that God cast our iniquities. He forgives us, and when we bring our sins to him, he casts them as far as the east is from the west. We're not talking from one end of your county to the other. We're not saying from New York to LA. We're talking about the heavens and, and, and the earth and all that is in the universe. God throws your iniquities, throws your sins as far as the east is from the west. He's never going to bring them back again. That's the picture there, that we put the own shame on us. But if you've come to know the Lord your God as your Savior, then he has forgiven your sins, and they are forgiven, and he doesn't bring them up again. And so if you are not a believer, and you, and, you, and you don't know what that means, or how does that look like, we see in Mark chapter 1 verse, verse 13, says, repent and believe in the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth Live the life that you and I can't follow each and every one of God's commands, each and every one of God's rules to the T, which you and I, we know we cannot. Each and every day we fall short of that, that that God, the second person of the Trinity, came to this earth, lived the life that you and I can't live, was truly innocent, did no wrongdoing in his life, and then willingly went up to the cross and was punished And suffered and hung on the cross for your sins. That on that cross, as Jesus is hanging there, your sins are being put on him. In return, those who put their faith and trust are now clothed in the righteousness of God. That he came lived the life that we couldn't, went to the cross, died the death that is rightfully ours. We see this in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that everyone who sinned deserves death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. But that Jesus made a way, and through his dying on the cross now, we have earned forgiveness. We have earned the forgiveness of sins, and it doesn't just end there. We're told that he rises again from that third day and it's by him rising again that we now have eternal life that we now can spend the rest of eternity with the God of the universe and that forgiveness that is found in Jesus is made available to all you can have peace with a holy and righteous and just God today if you put your faith and trust and you turn from your sins and you put your faith and trust in the works of Christ that can be yours today you can be at peace with God and so if you haven't done that, if you're interested and you want to know more about that, talk to me or Pastor Wes. We would love to just sit down after service and, and explain more to you what that looks like. But please don't let another day go by where you're not asking that question. The beauty of the forgiveness of sins is that we are made as white as snow. That though your sins are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. We see that in Isaiah 1.18 so for the people here, the believers, our church family, that same forgiveness I talked about is for you. I don't know what you may be going through in life, what kind of shame or guilt you may be carrying, but if you have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have the forgiveness. of so since there is no more condemnation for you, church, so you need to walk in that. And if you, if you need help with that, come see us after we would love to talk to you more about what that looks like to actively live in the forgiveness and the joy that we have in God. That we no longer are bogged down by our sins, but that we have forgiveness. But I want to end by just pointing you all to, to the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and we're all familiar with that parable. right? We're all familiar that, that the t- this teacher comes to Jesus and says, How do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus flips the question again. He goes Socratic on the man, the man answers Jesus' question that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the man goes and asks Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? And that is when he goes back and he shares this parable of, of the of the person who was robbed and left and beaten for death they on the side of the road, and that a priest comes and sees this man and goes to the other side, ignores him. Then a Levite comes, does the same, and then the Samaritan comes, sees this man in need, sees this man who is in desperate need of, of just love and compassion and care, patches him up, takes him to an end, gives of his own money to make sure that this guy can be brought back, that he's taken care of. And then he asks... In verse 36, which of, these, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do like-likes. So what's the point there in this parable? That we are to really set our needs and our desires, set our prejudice aside, and show love and compassion for others. And as we encounter people, that everyone is our neighbor, that we are all Created in the image and likeness of God. And everyone deserves that same compassion and care and need. Everyone who is weak, who is in need, who is struggling with life. The poor, the powerless, the helpless, the hurting, the weak, the struggling, the vulnerable. They are all our neighbors. The babies in the wombs are our neighbors. And we are to show love and compassion for them. If you don't think this applies to them, then you are sorely mistaken. The unborn babies are our neighbors. The woman going, seeking abortion is our neighbor. Those helping in the abortion clinics, they are our neighbors. We are to show love and compassion to them. We are to take the gospel and be the light of Jesus to this world. We are to love them. We are to care for them, and we are to fight for them, church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before your throne. you looked and there's nothing redeeming about us but you sent your son to die on that cross on our behalf lord and we have been given eternal life not because we've earned it not because we decided that we're going to come and sit in these chairs this sunday and sing songs of praise you know we are forgiven because of what your son has done on the cross on our behalf father may we remember that lord as we go about this week father We pray that that we want to be intentional this week on spending time praying for the unborn life, Father. That we want to spend time praying for the workers, praying for the mothers, and praying for the fathers and their families, Father. We want to set this week apart for our focus and our intercession on their behalf, Father. Help us, Father, to do that. Help us to be reminded of, of, of what we are to be doing as followers of Christ, that you've called us, to show love and compassion to this dying world. You've called us to bring the gospel to them, Father. And as we go about the rest of this day that we've set apart for you, Father, help us to remember that, Lord. May we spend more time with you and your your church family. May we spend more time in, in your word this week. May we spend more time in prayer today, Father. May we just spend more time reminiscing on the goodness that is found in you, Father. Help us. Help us, Father. We pray all this in your Son's mighty and powerful name. And as people said,